Good morning. Please be seated. I am a procrastinator by nature. I always have been. In high school and college, I rarely studied until the night before the exam. Those of you that were at Pride with me know that uh, as of yesterday, I hadn't written the uh, reflection yet. It was in my brain, but I couldn't get it on paper. So what I'm going to talk about today makes absolute sense to me. I hope it makes sense to at least one of you. So in true nature to my procrastination, about three months ago, Lisa emailed Donna, Becky, Daryl, and myself the readings for today. And of course, I didn't open that email right away. And when I finally did, a month and a half after she sent it to me, I was like, great, what a great gospel. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth. And he asked, you think I have come here to bring peace? No, I tell you rather, division. Jesus as the great divider. Isn't there enough division in the world now? Whatever happened to sweet baby Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, the Jesus that calmed the waters, who preached the Sermon on the Mount, this Jesus in Luke seems like he belongs on surface on Morning Joe or Fox and Friends. You only have to turn on the TV or open the newspaper or check your Twitter feed to experience a world and a country that is divided. We are divided people, divided by race, class, social standing, cultural, political party, sexual and gender identity, and so many other things. We are divided about what it means to be American. We are divided about what it means to be a Christian. We argue about whether a wall is a wall or a cage is a cage. It was right after 9-11 when I first started noticing a deep division around me. And I'm sure those who are younger or older than me have different places, different examples from their own time. But for me, it was 9-11 when I started noticing a deep division. Some of you may know Scott and I lived in New York City for some time, and we lived in New York City during 9-11. And I actually watched the second plane crash into the tower from my office. And while it was a very frightening time, and the first instinct that I had as a 40-something-year-old man is I need my mommy. I needed that comfort. I couldn't get a hold of Scott because he worked in a hospital and they were on alert. And so I got through to my mom. But the days afterwards were some of the most beautiful times. The times when I felt, felt most connected to other human beings. I was fortunate enough to be in the audience of Urinetown on Broadway the first day the theaters opened up because they were dark for a few days. And I've never seen the show since. I've never listened to the cast recording. I don't even know if it's a very funny show, but that day, that audience was one. They were a community, and we gave ourselves permission to laugh. 
and we were connected, not divided. And most of you really know me that well to know that I cannot stand sports. I, you know, sports ball just does not do it for me. But I was a, a chef at a restaurant and my fishmonger said, do you like baseball? And I said, sure, because, you know, that's what you did in restaurants. You act, you know. And he goes, here's some World Series tickets. And I'm like, wow, it's the World Series. And my best friend Karen's a Yankees fan, and it was the first Yankees game, World Series game after 9-11. And they were playing Arizona. And the security was really tight because George W. Bush was throwing out the first pitch. And the stadium was filled with snipers around the perimeter on the top. Now, I was never a big fan of George W. Bush. But that day, in that moment, I stood in solidarity and felt connected and proud. I hazard to say that wouldn't happen today. Flash forward to a few months later, my first time back in Toledo after 9-11, and I looked around and everybody had flags on their cars and everybody had flags on their houses. And I said, Mom, Dad, what is this flag stuff? I've never seen so many flags. Well, we're proud to be American. It's them or us. And that's when I started listening and hearing that connection, them or us. Because in New York, it happened to us not them and us. I mean, that's how I experienced it. And it was from that day forward that I have started noticing a deep divisiveness. Rowan Williams wrote in Writing in the Dust after September 11th, and if you've not read it, it's a very quick read and I highly recommend it. He was in New York on the day of the attacks. Violence is communication, above all, of hatred, fear, or contempt, and I have a choice about the language I'm going to use to respond. If I decide to answer in the same terms, how, that is how the conversation will continue. How many times have you heard someone say it's the only language they understand to defend a violent reaction to violent acts? Yesterday, at the Pride March, there was a person using the Bible as a weapon of hate, as often as done. And most people at the march drowned them out with joyful music and joyful noise. There were some people that chose to respond his hate with their hate. And someone told me, can you said, look at him, look at him, go away. And I said that, that today was about love. And I love you, and I love him. Bless him, change me. Now, I'm not always that forgiving, but yesterday, at least, I chose not to answer hate with hate. One of my favorite writers, Richard Rohr, in his brilliant book, Breathing Underwater, The Gospel and the Twelve Steps, talks about how we are all addicts. For some of us, we are addicted to drugs or alcohol. For others, it might be gambling, sex, porn, exercise, food, or the internet. But most of all, Roar says we are addicted to being right. Addicted to our own way of thinking. And for me, it breaks down like this. If you don't think like I think, you're wrong. 
And if you're wrong, I don't like you. And if I don't like you, you are my enemy. And if you are an enemy, I don't want to know you. And if I don't know you, you will forever be a stranger. And if you are a stranger, then you threaten me. If you threaten me, then I am frightened by you. It is a short path from fear to hate. And hate, not Jesus, is the great divide. Our addiction to being right keeps us from being connected. We choose to be correct rather than be corrected, be, be connected. And for me, this is where the gospel comes in. That Jesus of the gospel talks about fire and division, but is that what he really means? I believe he wants us to find what Thomas Keating calls an intimacy with God. A relationship that is so pure and vulnerable that it comes before any other relationship. For only when we allow ourselves to be truly vulnerable with God can we find a lasting and abiding relationship with anyone else. Those of you familiar with 12-step work will know that in the fifth step we say we admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. God first. God is crying out to be in a relationship with me, with you, with you. Christ in the gospel talks about the vision, but what I hear him saying is that love God first and every other relationship will fall into place. Because see, if I truly love God, if I truly and deeply, vulnerably love God, it's hard for me to find hate. It's hard for hate to have any space in me. Division is the building block of growth and change. I mean, our, the cells in our body divide and multiply so we can grow. And if any of you are gardeners, you know you have to split your hostas a couple times every now and then so they can thrive. The fire that Christ talks about is the fire of the Holy Spirit calling us to turn away from our old way of thinking and turn into God. Turn away from our old thinking and turn into God. God is our primary love, a love that creates the building blocks to stronger relationships with our friends, our family, and the strangers in our life. A love that is at once vulnerable and resilient my prayer for today is that we focus on being connected rather than correct. That we choose love over fear. That we choose God over self. That we choose God as our first love.